Hello, everyone. You are listening to 3CR's special broadcast for International Day of People with Disability. Before I kick off my time with you today, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which I'm coming to you from today, the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I want to acknowledge that sovereignty has never been declared. I am privileged to work, live and share my stories on lands which are not my own and lands in which stories have been told long, long, long before I ever got here and will continue to be told by the traditional owners and custodians of the land. I would like to pay my respects to elders past and present of First Nations, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander descent who may be listening to this broadcast today. Today you will be hearing the voices of disabled people and I'm one of them. My name is Flick Manning. You might be familiar with my voice because you could have heard me before on the Brainwaves show here on 3CR. But today I am here in my capacity as somebody who is disabled and who has spent most of my life learning, relearning, and then mastering the skill of rest. Over the next hour, I have the privilege of sharing a little of that with you, what I've learnt, some of the science of rest, and perhaps a few skills that you can try at home to improve, sustain, or amplify your quality of life. And I actually can't articulate entirely how honoured I am and how grateful I am to share all of this with you. Because representation is so important and disabled people rarely get the coverage they need and deserve, despite us making up a fifth of the population. And let's face it, that number is definitely growing. Now, while I may speak broadly about disability, it's essential to point out that disabilities are wide ranging and varied. Some folks are visibly disabled. Some may use mobility aids, which we often call freedom devices like canes and wheelchairs. Some may have invisible disabilities, which means they cannot be seen by the naked eye. Some have dynamic disabilities, meaning that their symptoms vary from day to day and what they need to do or use for functionality may change regularly as a result. There's really no one way to be disabled. So if you're tuning in today and you are disabled, however you're disabled and whatever way you're disabled, I want you to know that your experience of disability is valid, that I believe you and in you and that I am deeply honoured to be part of the community with you. So for clarity, I have a range of chronic conditions that make up my disabilities, from autoimmune conditions like Crohn's disease, which is inflammatory bowel disease, to misunderstood invisible ones like MECFS, or known as chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, and also my conditions and dynamics. So some days getting out of bed is literally a no-go. Sometimes I use a cane. She's red and sparkly, and I call her Ruby. And I got her because I didn't want my disability to have to be hidden even though a lot of my disabilities are actually invisible so when I use my cane I want people to know that I'm proud to use my freedom device Ruby I've also got a background in musical theatre so it's probably no surprise that I went for the sparkly one Uh, anyway just so you know if you ever see me with my bright red Ruby cane I'm pretty happy to be using it she makes my life so much easier I also wear hearing aids and glasses And I've experienced more medical gaslighting or what I consider to be medical trauma than I can describe. Sometimes I'm in agonizing and relentless pain. Sometimes the pain is functional, meaning you won't notice I'm in pain by looking at me, but I will know that I'm in pain and I will be, you know, taking certain actions to make sure that I am capable of functioning in the world. Like a lot of people with largely invisible disabilities, I have learned to function in a world that is not welcoming to people like myself 
but it does not mean that my disability isn't with me every single day. There are no days off. It is always there. So I'll be speaking from that position of my personal lived experience today and anecdotally about those that I work with in my capacity as a well-being professional, as a neuroplastician, personal trainer, as a person that's an ambassador for several organizations supporting people with disabilities, chronic conditions and mental health conditions. I am also abundantly aware of my privilege as a white middle-class person and I pay my respects to every person of colour, every non-binary, trans, LGBTQIA plus person who faces even more discrimination than I would as a result of my disabilities. I am bisexual, but again, at the same time, I still know that I don't experience the same level of discrimination as other people do in this space. I'm very, very clear on that, and I just wanted to make sure that I was clear with you on that as well. I also want to note that I do remember my life as a child prior to becoming chronically sick and disabled, so I have some lens of experience of being able-bodied too. I cannot speak for everyone with a disability, but I do hope that by sharing what I've learned today, you will feel less alone if you're disabled. And if you're able-bodied and listening to this, then I hope that you will come out of this more informed, better positioned to be a good ally and to make decisions that are for the betterment of all human beings. Because despite our potential body or mind differences, we are all at the end of the day human beings and each of us should have the right to a quality of life. And I really dedicate my life to that concept, to trying to help make that happen. When I was asked what I would like to talk about today by the fab organisers of this special day of broadcasting, the list was really mighty long. It was very hard for me to narrow it down. But I settled on this. I would like to talk about the concept of rest as it pertains to chronically sick and disabled people, that we are frankly the experts at maintaining and sustaining in a world that tries so often to silence, ignore and get rid of us. Our skills in the art of rest should be the gold standard to which others look to. And also they should look to how we have had to learn and can learn to find rest in bodies and in a world that makes it complex for us to exist and to be treated with equality. It's pretty encompassing with a little side of defiance and some science and the dash of real love for our innate humanness, which is all kind of my brand. So stay with me today as I try to take you through as much of that as I can in sort of a digestible way. One of the things I do quite often is I go into organisations and particularly during the pandemic, that's been largely online. But I go into all sorts of different kinds of organisations, government groups, not-for-profits, startups and so on to talk about chronic illnesses, to talk about disabilities, to talk about the science of self-care. I talk about my book, Living Human, which is my memoir about my life with invisible disabilities. And I always share, no matter who it's with, um, and I start with a breathing exercise. And I'm actually going to do the same with you today. And I know that's probably maybe a little left of centre being a radio broadcast, but it's for a very good reason. And I'll explain that in a moment. So Our breathing plays a massive role in our ability to find rest while we're in action, while we're thinking, while we're in pain, while we're sleeping. It's actually in everything that we do. It also affects our ability to learn, to take in new information, because how we breathe determines part of what I refer to as optimal learning conditions. You see, our brains and bodies are these complex, super interconnected organisms So even breathing through the nose versus the mouth can change how our brains direct our bodies to then function. So I want to create the best possible learning condition for you to be with me today on this journey into rest so that you can take in as much information as you can in a restful, peaceful, calm state. 
So basically, I would love for your brain, your nervous systems, your neurotransmitters, your hormones, all of it to be in the best version of alignment that they can be throughout this broadcast. So that's really why we're going to do a breathing exercise today. We're going to slow things down. We're going to connect with ourselves. So you can do this sitting, standing, laying. You can do it when you're making the dinner for the kids. You can do this on a school pickup run. You can do this when you're on the toilet for the 50th time today, like some of us with inflammatory bowel disease might go through. It's really sustainable and it's free, so you've got to love that. Okay, so wherever you are, take a moment, settle in. Allow yourself to sink into the space that you're in, to sink into your body even if there's discomfort present. I want you just to focus on your breathing and take a few deep breaths in through the nose and out through your mouth if you can. Do it at a pace that feels really comfortable for you. Don't overthink it. Just focus on the fact that you are breathing and feel the sensation of the breath going in and the breath going out. I'm going to do this with you. You're probably going to hear me breathing over the air. So if the speed in which I breathe feels a little too fast or a little too slow, that's okay. Adjust it to suit yourself. I want to do it with you mainly so that there isn't complete dead air and you're forced to think, where did she go? I'm sure I was listening to someone talking to me. So let's do this together, folks. Again, bringing that focus to the breath and inhaling. Exhaling. Inhale. Exhale. Inhale, exhale. Good, you can keep going. Now, if you'd like to only breathe in from your nose and out from your nose now, it's going to really help you to create a sense of calm. If you have to use your mouth, that's totally okay. Don't stress. This is still going to be pretty effective. And this time when you breathe, Rather than just focusing on the breath, I want you to count in your head as you do your breath. So you're going to count up to four as you inhale through the nose and up to four as you exhale through the nose. The aim here is to try and make the inhale and the exhale about the same length of time. Again, the pace is totally up to how you feel. So again, if my counting is too fast or too slow for you, feel free to ignore my counting. As I said, I just want to make sure that you don't feel like You've just dropped out of the broadcast. We're going to try this together so we're all in that same boat. So bringing that attention to the breath again, breathing in through the nose for one, two, three, four. Exhale, one, two, three, four. Inhale, one, two, three, four. Exhale, one, two, three, four. Inhale, one, two, three, four. Exhale, one, two, three, four. Fabulous, my friends. Now feel free to continue doing that as you're listening to me. The more often that you do it, the more effective that these kinds of things are, uh, particularly if you're not used to doing breathing exercises. Sometimes it can take a couple of minutes for things to sort of click in. Once you really practice at it, it can become very effective in less than a minute. So do you, do whatever feels comfortable, but I do encourage you to come back to the breath through this broadcast as I would encourage you to do throughout your life. Then the question really becomes, why would I suggest breathing? I mean, we all do it, right? We do it whether we're thinking about it or not. 
Well, because rest is an essential thing for all human beings and especially for those of us who are in pain, who have chronic conditions or disabilities. And rest to me is actually best described in this acronym. Rest is realistic energy sustaining tactics. Again, realistic energy sustaining tactics. And that's what we're going to be focusing on largely today. See, we get oxygen from breathing. Without oxygen, we are all kaput. But what's one of the most common things that humans do in pain, in stressful situations, or when they're really thinking hard about something? They stop breathing, or they hyperventilate, or they hold their breath. You know, in terms of hyperventilation, we actually suck in air through our mouths involuntarily. And we actually hyperventilate for a reason. We do that so that fight or flight mode can be activated, so that we can get away from that big bear chasing us down into the cave or from that 150th email that landed in our inbox or the kids that won't stop screaming at each other or the shooting pain in our back or the concerns for how we're going to pay for that MRI. My point is that when we don't breathe calmly, when we breathe only through the mouth, when we hyperventilate or hold our breath, we let the least evolved parts of our brain tell our nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system, to run the show. And when the amygdala, our lizard brain, or that part of the brain that is activated in fight or flight, is calling the shots, we really can't do much except get away from or fight the thing that has set us off in the first place. But in the case of those of us with chronic conditions or disabilities, very often our amygdala gets to call the shots a lot of the time as we're so often in pain or discomfort or stress, either from the conditions themselves that we're living with or from the continuous ableism that makes it very difficult for us to find a way to be treated equally in the world that we live in. When our sympathetic nervous system is triggered, we release adrenaline and cortisol, the aim being to give us a boost of short-term energy and alertness to combat any immediate pain and stress from that and to either get us moving or give us the ability to hide. So you may notice a few things that could get activated or give you the indication that maybe your amygdala is calling the shots. It could be that your heart starts racing and beating faster. You may find that you start to sweat or you get a cold sweat. You may find that your stomach or your gut sucks in nice and tight to your body, that your shoulders involuntarily lift up towards your chin covering up your neck. It could be that your eyes become really wide and alert. That's because they are designed in that way to take in more information to help you to get away or hide from that thing that has set off the fight or flight reaction. So these are all signs that you're in that mode. And for example, when we are in that mode, you know, we run into all sorts of issues, particularly if that's being chronically used. It often actually compounds the very nature of what we're living with. So, for example, when we're in fight or flight, our immune system actually can't function properly as most of the function of our immune system lives in our gut. And when fight or flight is set off, you know, our blood supply is sent to our extremities and that means that our organs like our gut don't have that fresh oxygenated supply of blood coming into the gut that helps us to digest food, to pull nutrients from it, to operate the immune system properly. So a lot of people will actually throw up as part of fight or flight or feel really nauseous or have no appetite. And it's because in part the body knows that it cannot digest food without that fresh blood supply, without that fresh oxygen. So it empties out before food decays in the cup and also to make us physically lighter so that it is easier. We have more, almost like being more aerodynamic, we can get away faster because we are lighter. But, you know, we also have this horrid post-fight or flight chemical dump 
It's a little bit similar to like imagine you've had five cups of coffee in a row and you're buzzing, you're super alert, but when that wears off, you're really frazzled, you're fatigued, you might feel nauseated or sick, have no appetite, you might have a headache, you might find that you're unable to think clearly, to remember things, you know, be super emotional about stuff. It it gets messy. So by manually breathing in a calm way, by breathing particularly in just through the nose so that we avoid that feeling of hyperventilating or sucking and holding our breath in, our cardiovascular system feeds back to our brain that we don't need to put the amygdala in charge right now, which means we don't need the sympathetic you know, fight or flight system to be set off. We don't need to pump adrenaline and cortisol because there's nothing to run away from. We, we can function as is. So when we are not functioning from that nervous system, when we are a bit calmer, we actually tell the brain it's okay to operate from your parasympathetic nervous system, the one that keeps the body functioning, the one that sort of says to the brain, hey, we're all good in the hood, go about your business, do your thing, nothing to worry about here. Now, because the brain and nervous system sort of operate like Marco Polo, they're always calling out to one another, always talking and listening and trying to find ways to align with one another effectively. So my aim with sharing that moment of breath with each and every one of you was to help to reduce any sympathetic nervous system action that could be happening for you right now to stop the amygdala from being the the part of the brain that's in charge so that that will help you to position yourself from a parasympathetic nervous system functioning point of view. You're less likely to need adrenaline and cortisol in mass quantities, so you can actually produce things like serotonin, dopamine, and oxytocin, which will help you to feel emotionally and physically more evenly keeled, even in the experience of pain and stress. So in other words, to sustain a restful state or create homeostasis, and that will allow you to have more cognitive function so that you can then Uh, you know, concentrate, listen to what I'm talking to you about and really, you know, come into knowing that having the knowledge of something is great. You know, I'm sharing these things with you, but the real awesome source is in your ability to apply it with the knowledge of why you would want to. So putting you in that optimal learning condition of being calmer and being in that restful state allows that to occur. That, my friends, is part of creating a neural pathway or brain training yourself into a method of rest that you can start to immediately use or think of using when you face pain or stress. So none of it shows up by accident. We have to kind of put it there. And frankly, most of us aren't really taught how to do any of this stuff. We're kind of taught to avoid the process of pain and emotion and stress and things like that. But, you know, when you're chronically ill, when you're disabled, we have to learn how to you know, realistically sustain our energy. And that's where that acronym, Realistic Energy Sustaining Tactics or REST, actually comes from. And breathing is one of those fantastic methods that you can use. You may already be aware of this. You may already be doing it. And absolute kudos and bravo to you if you are. I hope that you are still happily breathing away as you're listening to me talking about it. But if you have not tried these things, I do encourage you to give breathing a go. Focus in on the breath. Try and breathe in through the nose and out through the nose if possible to do so. With a bit of practice, it's actually really amazing uh, at how much energy that you can actually start to sustain and maintain by, you know, understanding a little bit about how to switch from one nervous system to the other. So as I said, if you are not pumping adrenaline and cortisol constantly, you can better sustain your energy, which gives you the resources in the body to do more than just survive. 
Now, it's not necessarily about being, you know, quote unquote normal, trying to to behave and act like everybody else. It's trying to create a quality of life with the full conditions that come with your package. And that may include, you know, disabilities or chronic illnesses or chronic pain or mental health conditions or all of the above. Whatever it is, that should be inclusive of your quality of life rather than, you know, looking always to sort of do things separate to that because they all kind of come as a package deal. Breathing calmly is a really cost-effective tactic that you can use day and night. It's a pretty fab gift also that you can give to people in your life. Uh, This is one of the things that I love to teach. I love teaching this skill uh, that I learned courtesy of my disability with parents of young kids and in corporate settings. And I do this particularly with parents so that the, the parents can learn how to handle stress and pain and demonstrate that to their children. So if you're doing a breathing exercise like the one that we went through before, it's called calm breathing, funnily enough, because it's all about creating calm, in for four, out for four through the nose. When your children get to see you do that rather than holding on to stress, bottling it up, taking yourself away to deal with emotional pain, you know, that actually teaches them then how to deal with stress and pain by creating rest, right? Giving them realistic energy sustaining tactics because stress and pain and emotion, they can all really, you know, detract from the energy that you have. They can actually pull away from those resources. So it's about learning to sustain them. And when kids mirror their parents in that way, it's a really beautiful gift and it actually creates an environment where it's more safe to experience emotion, to, to experience difference. And that is one way that we can actually start to break down and erode this concept of othering of disabled people that may be you know, in our lives. In fact, I have to say, even my own husband, just by watching me do it so often throughout the day, he now turns to it without me having to really instruct him you know, when he's stressed, when he's in pain, when he's going through something, he comes back to the breath. And he also uses other sort of techniques that I'll go through with you in a little bit as well. But because he's been capable of doing that, he understands why it works. He's, he's mirrored what he's been in the environment of so often. It also positions me to know that when I'm in my hardest moments, when I'm facing that severe fatigue and brain fog and I'm in a lot of pain, maybe I've had pain insomnia for nights on end where I'm unable to sleep properly because of pain, he can help to guide me back to the breath in those moments too. And that really helps me to sustain what energy I have so that my body can try and function the best possible way that it can, particularly keeping my immune system in check because I do have an autoimmune disease as part of my disability. So it's kind of a gift. If you learn how to breathe and do these things, it's kind of a gift that keeps on giving because we pass it from one person to the next. What a fabulous gift that you can give someone this coming holiday season. It's free. It's sustainable. It's lovely. So I encourage you to give it a go to show people in your life and in your workplace, actually, that this is something that is totally normal and that rest is an essential state for all human beings and that you, perhaps as a disabled person if you are, You are the gold standard. You are the master of being able to do these things. And perhaps that brings me to this point about the way people like myself with disabilities have had to learn to rest as being that gold standard in which people to look to. And I was actually only chatting to someone else yesterday that noted that, you know, people like myself, you know, we have become in many ways actually much more efficient and productive because we learn to use the functional time we have in ways that 
many able-bodied people don't have to. Uh, so where's the societal view may be that we you know, can't or we shouldn't work in a corporate nine-to-five setting, for example, because our body may not comply with that perfect timeline, we often can actually get the work done in less hours, but perhaps it's from the comfort of our own bed or our own home, you know, doing a work-from-home situation, working part-time, having flexible hours. We get the work done. We're very capable of doing it. We just have to do it a slightly different way because we have learned to infuse rest, right? We may be having the laptop in the bed with us because our body needs to be in a restful state. We've embraced rest. We've learned how to use it to our maximum advantage and to then become really productive and efficient as a result. So we, our experience is incredibly valuable and we could actually teach a lot of people how to do you know, more with less time and therefore have that more time to simply be human rather than whatever you know, work that we do, whatever responsibilities and commitments we've made. We've really had to learn how to embrace rest as an essential part of actually being and staying alive. Uh, and because of that experience, we know we have value and can actually make other people more productive too, as I mentioned. If only they'd listen to our experiences. And I hope if you are able-bodied, you are listening to this today, we can actually coexist together. We just have to do it slightly differently. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. It's just that we know how to infuse rest into our day rather than looking at as rest as this separate thing. And look, if I want to just take a little aside here, I mean, to be frank, does it seem like all the folks working nine to five, Monday to Friday, seem entirely healthy, happy and stress-free? Nope. If they were, we wouldn't see so many people rushing out over the weekend to let loose, blow all their cash, get as many dopamine hits as they can from doing entirely unsustainable things, which they may call rest because they haven't been taught any different, and then start Monday on a chemical low with no real rest in their body, only to repeat the whole thing again. I mean, that's not really a sustainable way to live and it's not really a way to honour the, the beauty and complexity of our human design, I believe, anyway. So how about we all inject a little rest into every day instead? I'll leave you with that thought in a moment. We'll be back for more on this special day, this international day of people with disability coverage You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Welcome back to 3CR. My name is Luke Manning and I'm joining you for this special International Day of People with Disability event. I'm really honoured to be here with all of you today, sharing a little bit about my experience and my feelings about rest as somebody who is disabled. If you tuned into the first half of of this broadcast, we've been through a little bit of breathing technique with you, a calm breathing technique, which is inhaling for a count of four and exhaling for a count of four, ideally through your nose. We've also been talking about our nervous systems, our parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems, parts of our brain like the amygdala and some of the chemicals which we actually release as part of those activations or deactivations like adrenaline and cortisol and learning that even our breath, even where we breathe from, can really determine what our brain tells our body to do. So as often as you can, even if you've never tried it before, even as you're listening to me broadcasting to you today, 
you can breathe in for four and out for four and try to bring yourself into a restful state. And a little reminder again that that wonderful acronym that I like to use for rest is Realistic Energy Sustaining Tactics. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we go. So jump on in, tune in, turn it up, make yourself comfortable. You do you. I'm just really, really feeling grateful and privileged to be here and to put some representation to disability today. Now, in my capacity of the kind of work that I do, I have actually spent a lot of time, especially in the last couple of years, I think, as I mentioned before, teaching people how to sort of hack their brains and bodies for better productivity, how to make their meeting time shorter, their meetings more effective by doing the exact breathing exercises that I went through with you only moments ago and earlier in this podcast. And I do those at the start of a meeting. This is something that I do personally in my own life. That's been really, really helpful to kind of get everybody in on the same page. And as also a, an actual demonstration of well-being or rest in action. So I really like to say to people, yeah, I know it's probably going to feel a little bit odd because what we're used to doing is ignoring all of our human feelings and going into a boardroom and sitting together and just trying to bash out an idea. And quite often what we end up doing is just feeling really tense, spending a whole hour or so in a room with other people only to have really just worked out that we need another meeting out of that meeting. So really very little productivity has come out of it and then out of the meeting you've then got to work on the stuff like you don't actually get an awful lot done one of the ways that we can improve that is to bring rest into the workplace just in the same way that rest is constantly having to be brought into the lives of people with disability and chronic illness you can do that just by breathing because it does change the parts of the brain that are functioning what the brain is telling the body in terms of which of our nervous systems to operate and in that, which of our chemicals and hormones it should release. So it plays a huge, huge, huge role in our overall ability to create homeostasis or an ability to rest. And this is including finding rest while we're stressed, while we're in discomfort, while we're in pain, not just when we're in joy, not just when we're in, you know, inspired or feeling excited or feeling loved. It's in every single state that a human being can be in. But one of the observations I have made by doing this exact kind of work is it's really super clear to me that rest is this really foreign concept for a lot of people, but really less so for people like me. And I'm not just talking about relaxation, like an actual vacation or stepping away from your life to do something completely different. That is fabulous and it has its place, but it's not something that you can sustain daily, whether it be by cost or opportunity or getting time off to do it. I'm not talking about that I'm talking about rest, realistic energy sustaining tactics. Yes, I'm going to say it over and over again because I'm creating that neural pathway in your brain which you are going to come back to and reinforce with your own brilliant, unique take on it, realistic energy sustaining tactics. You see, as I mentioned before as well, we are the gold standard masters of that and I think we should be recognized for it. So if you're a master at rest and you're listening, I celebrate you. I really do. Well done. Keep on doing it. Don't stop for anybody or anything. It is fabulous. You are fabulous. So all the warm fuzzies, all the warm fuzzies for all of you who are listening today that are resting. And for those that don't know how to do it, maybe this is your catalyst to give it a go, to try. And also to understand what the experience of having to infuse that into your life is actually like. If you really think about it, 
rest is a totally essential thing for all of us. You know, the body runs off what we provide it and only what we provide it. That is what food we give it, what drinks we give it, what we consume on telly, radio, books, social media. It's the people we live with, we work with, we hang around. All of these things are a form of consumption and all of these affect our energy resources and therefore our ability to function well. This goes for all human beings regardless of, you know, your your health status, your mental health status. It's just across the board. And each of us are going to have their own particular way that we find rest to be useful for us. It's not a one-size-fits-all thing. It does require some exploration. Uh, I encourage you to embrace your humanity and to do that exploration. For many of us with chronic illnesses and disabilities, we haven't really had a choice but to invest in that. We've had to work out how to function in a world that doesn't make room for us. And we've had to work out how to, you know, find rest, to use rest, and what rest means to all of us. I'm going to define some of those things, some of those examples for us now. Now, for some of us, rest is sleeping. Or it could be laying down without sleep purely to reduce stimulation. So for a lot of us with disabilities and chronic illnesses or if we've got neurodivergence, stimulation can be a really, really big factor in how we function because stimulation of any kind actually takes resources from the brain and therefore resources from the body. So it might mean that, you know, light, colour, sound, the sensation of clothing on your skin, it could be breeze moving through the air, you know, humidity, it could be air pressure, that sort of electrical energy from storms, like all of these kinds of things are a form of stimulation. So it might mean that, you know, you you need to sort of step away from that and take some some downtime in a quiet, dark room for five minutes or for half an hour. That's a form of rest that many of us use. You may not actually be able to achieve sleep. Sleep is not necessarily the only kind of rest, but destimulizing, you know, using a destimulization technique like getting in the dark or focusing on the breathing can be really helpful. It might mean doing a breathing exercise, as I've mentioned, or meditation. It could be doing some form of stretching, even if you are actually, you know, bed bound. It could be stretching your arms or stretching your neck if you can. It could be actual exercise like getting up for a walk or going for a run. Or, you know, it could be getting outside in your chair, going out with your cane. It could be mental health therapy, seeing an osteopath, going to a GP for help with diagnosis or treatment. Could mean writing in a journal. Could mean listening to your favorite music so that you get that serotonin and endorphin buzz. There's so many ways that we can infuse rest into our day. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the neurotransmitters that are associated with these different kinds of rest because that's a pretty important part of finding the ways that are going to activate a restful state for you and understanding why certain things are working for you and why they may be not. So let's talk about music, for example. If you are able to listen to music and music is something that you find moves you in some emotional way, we have this fabulous form of memory called sentimental memory. And it really kind of transports us into the state that we were in when we created this sentimental piece of memory. This is why it is so often used as a form of therapy in things like Alzheimer's and dementia uh, and in mental health as well. So I'll give you an example. I was a former dancer and choreographer, so music's been a really huge part of my life. And 
there are certain memories that are associated with certain songs. When I play that song, I am transported entirely, not just in that, you know, maybe visualization memory or that emotional state that I have of when that song first meant something to me, but it actually means that my brain, my brain puts me back into the chemical state that was achieved when I listened to that piece of music. So if I was dancing at the time that I listened to that piece of music, I might have been producing serotonin, endorphin, and, you know, dopamine. So then when I listen to that piece of music again, my brain not only visualizes and takes me back to that feeling of being happy and being joyful and I can imagine myself there, I feel like I'm there, but it actually also helps me to release the associated neurotransmitters like the endorphins and the dopamine that were created at the time of that memory being produced. Music has this really unique ability to do that, but you can, of course, capitalize that and use that for yourself in a lot of other ways too. So rest is not always just laying down. It's not always just sleeping. It might be shifting your neurotransmitter state by going, hey, there's this song that just always makes me feel a bit better. And the reason why it feels a bit better is because it does help you to release those neurotransmitters. So by paying close attention to those kinds of things in your life, whether you're able-bodied, you're disabled, you know, whatever the status is of your health, you can hack your own life by infusing those things in. You know, I have done that in workplaces, playing a piece of music again in the meeting or at the start of the meeting because it changes people's chemistry. Therefore, it changes what's happening in your brain. And if your brain is in a certain chemical state, guess what? It's going to change which nervous system you are operating from and therefore the functionality of your body. So if you've got a piece of music that makes you feel super agitated and all wound up, well, you know what? You might put yourself into sympathetic nervous system mode. You may start producing adrenaline and cortisol. But then if you're listening to a love ballad or you're listening to a piece of dance music, you're listening to Kylie Minogue or Jamiroquai or whatever it is that gets your blood pumping, then that's probably going to release those positive chemicals, serotonin, dopamine, endorphins. And that's going to help you to feel better. It's going to help your body function that little bit better during that time. And that means for that three minutes that the song is on, you're creating a more restful state because you are sustaining energy, right? It's an energy sustaining tactic and it's realistic because you can use it. If you've got music on your device, you've got music on your laptop, music on your TV, you can hum to yourself. You can be out listening to music somewhere. So again, it's a really sustainable skill. And you can tap into that as much as you want to. Also, I wanted to take a little aside here while we're on the note of chemicals because I want to bust a bit of a myth here. This is something that a lot of people with disability and chronic conditions, mental health conditions deal with. We may want to cry. We may feel the urge to cry. And very sadly, and this is not just directed at people with disability or illness, but I think broadly across the board, as a society, we have trained each other to respond very negatively to the process of crying. How often in your life when you have cried have you heard someone say, don't cry, stop crying, why are you crying, don't feel like that? 
There's a lot of this kind of stuff. In fact, you may have even mirrored it. Scarily enough, and I've certainly done this myself, I've found myself repeating these terms that I know to be really hurtful when I am actually needing to cry. There's a really good reason for why we cry. So let me break that down because crying actually can be, drum roll, rest. (laughs) It's actually a realistic energy-sustaining tactic. So let me explain. Crying is just a chemical reset. The brain doesn't differentiate the reason why you cry. It doesn't look at something and it only says, well, I'm only going to cry at very negative things or I'll only cry when I'm really angry. Now, we cry for all sorts of reasons. We cry because we're tired. We cry because we're angry, fearful, jealous. We cry when we're in love, when we feel overwhelmed by being seen and nurtured. We can cry because we're inspired, surprised, uh, you know, because we feel joy. There's literally an endless list of reasons why we cry. And the reason why that list is so endless is actually because, you know, we don't differentiate. The brain doesn't differentiate. It simply goes, I have been overstimulated. I'm so stimulated. And that overstimulation is drawing resources out of me rather than maintaining them and it's making me your brain find it much harder to do my job of keeping you alive and keeping your immune system functioning and keeping all the things going at the same time so we cry in order to reset that reset is actually oxytocin this is a wonderful beautiful delicious chemical that we release again for a lot of fabulous reasons Yes, we release it when we're crying. That's part of us coming back into that chemical reset state, bringing us back into homeostasis. But we also release it when we fall in love, when we feel valued or safe, seen and heard. We release it when we are being hugged or having our hands held or being physically touched by someone that we care about. We release it during sex. We release it at the birth of a baby, when there's skin-to-skin contact with mother or father or whoever else in the family. These are all common states of releasing oxytocin and is one of the reasons why we feel the need to embrace one another when we are going through times of stress or times of discomfort, grief or pain. It's because we inherently know at that deep human level that by touching one another, by rubbing each other's backs, we stimulate our vagus nerve our parasympathetic nervous system, and we release oxytocin, which allows us to come back to a state that the body and brain can function in. So, yeah, having a big old snot rolling down your face cry is actually a restful state. It's actually a way to bring your body into a state of rest, and I think we really should embrace that. We get told a lot not to do it. We end up telling each other a lot not to do it. We question each other while we do it so if we are listening whether we're able-bodied whether we are disabled I really encourage you to focus on that and to really think about embracing your tears embracing the process of having a cry and as you work through that allowing other people to see that this is nothing to have any shame about to be of any you know specifically negative concern that we can be with one another or we can even be alone in that restful state by crying. And it's a perfectly natural inbuilt system 
that we are designed to do. I mean, we produce tears for a reason. It doesn't just happen just because. It's, it is really all inbuilt into our human design. And it's one of the sustainable ways that we can create a state of rest. We can come back to a place where we are not drawing resources from the body by holding back our tears and holding back our emotions, but by actually allowing our body to release them for whatever reason they are there so that we can come back to a state of rest and allow ourselves to have the energy and resources for our body to do its job, to try and function as best it can. And those of us who are in a lot of pain, please cry if you feel the need to. I really, really encourage you to do so. It is so not just good for your mental health in terms of being cathartic, it is so physically good for you to let go of those emotions, whether they're coming from that negativity, whether they're coming from something positive, from love, from excitement, from joy, whatever, even if it's just coming from fatigue, let yourself cry, let yourself have that oxytocin. Again, rest is not about stepping away and having a vacation from your life or from yourself. It's about looking the things that are already inbuilt into your human design and into the things that you can include in your life, those moments of breathing exercises. You know, those kinds of things are really important. So this means that when we're thinking about what is rest for us, we need to take into consideration our lifestyle, our budget, our support systems, our goals, and yes, our hardworking bodies and minds. So as I mentioned, it's about finding ways to create a quality of life that are inclusive of all that we are, disease, pain, all of it included in that picture. I want to, of course, point out here that ableism is a factor in our ability to define and achieve a restful state. So in case you are not aware, if this is not part of your lived experience, many disabilities are not recognised or covered by NDIS. I'm certainly in that boat. It means that people like me have to have an income in some way, shape or form as we will not be supported by the government. And it means that we cannot get uh, a cheaper medical care either. So that can not only be, you know, really hard, but add sort of a detrimental level of stress, which makes it hard for us to maintain our well-being. Many workplaces will not accommodate or even consider working with a disabled person. And I've certainly been discriminated against so many times. And in truth, it's a big reason why I work for myself. Many of us are capable of working. We have a lot to offer, but the world still considers us to not even be human and therefore not deserving of fair treatment, of a right to opportunity, of a right to equality. People speak for us. They speak about us. They decide for us without ever really asking what we need and understanding that when we give that information to you, we are telling the truth and that you are more than capable of accommodating it. We may struggle to find doctors that believe that we're even disabled or ill in the first place. Medical gaslighting is an ongoing trauma for so many of us, very sadly. It can also be expensive, emotionally draining and traumatizing to find and get help. I mean, how can one afford endless tests like MRIs if they're not able to get a job due to the ableism that exists in society or to find a doctor that will even help organize it? What if your body requires these ongoing appointments that happen and, of course, can only happen Monday to Friday during work hours. And the flexibility at your work, if you're able to get work, doesn't exist, so you can't go to all of these appointments. There's so many layers and obstacles that we face in order to survive, let alone thrive, and that's not okay. It's really, really not okay. And that's why my focus is on realistic energy-sustaining tactics, stuff I can do for free, stuff that may not need much equipment, stuff that affects the body and mind purposely and with a real kindness and love for it 
stuff that directly tackles the nervous systems and neurotransmitters that are released or stopped by the nervous systems when they're triggered. And I encourage you to take the full breadth of that information if you can to recognise if you are able-bodied that you have such privilege and that you are in a position to help all of us to have that equality and to achieve that state of rest and to be able to do it without shame because we're all human and we all deserve rest. If you are disabled and chronically ill, please know that however you need to rest is perfectly valid and perfectly fine. I believe you, I see you, I hear you, I understand you. And as I mentioned before, I'm so deeply honoured to be in this community with each and every one of you. We are the masters of rest. We know so much more about the experience of living inside the human body. We have such innate value because of that and such skills because of that. And for anyone listening at home that's still going, I don't really see how rest is going to fit into my day. I'm going to give you a prime example because, you know, I'm an oversharer and As I mentioned very early in this broadcast, I do have inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease, which means that there are some days where I will have to go to the toilet 20, 30, 50 times in a day. And that means sometimes sitting in those public toilets that have those light sensors. So when people stop moving, coming in out of the bathroom, they the lights turn off and it's an energy-saving tactic. But, of course, it's not exactly the most accessible thing in the world because there are people like me out there, you know, a couple of hundred thousand of us in Australia alone, that will go to the toilet a lot. And that means that we're sitting there for longer than those lights can actually stay on. So sometimes I do find myself sitting there in pitch-black darkness in a public toilet. It's not the most comfortable experience, but I try to find ways to infuse rest in everything I do because I understand the importance of sustaining my energy and to use those tactics that are free and readily available to me. So I go, you know what, I'm in the dark. And that means that one of my senses, my sight, is not being stimulated. So I'm being a bit more restful. If I'm capable of it, I will do a breathing exercise when I'm I'm sitting on the toilet rather than sitting there and scrolling through my phone endlessly and over-draining my dopamine supply. So rest can come from anywhere it can come all the time it doesn't necessarily have to be something that you go you know what I'm going to do that at 5 30 when I finish my work day you know if it requires lots of obstacles in other words you need a special outfit special equipment have to go to a special location all those kinds of things they can become barriers to entry to create a sustainable version of rest that's more like things that you do for relaxation things that step outside of the realm of your normal world. Rest is about finding things that infuse into the everyday, those little circumstances like finding yourself in the loo with no light on and finding a way to look at that and to embrace that as going, right, well, my sight isn't being stimulated and actually I'm sitting here, I can't go anywhere right now, so now's the time to do a breathing exercise and to try and help my body operate from the parasympathetic nervous system. Like all of these things are there and they are there for us whether we are disabled or able-bodied or not. So I encourage each of you to spend some time this evening, tomorrow, in the coming days, thinking about your life, being mindful and looking at all the ways in which you can infuse rest, you can embrace rest and find those things that work for you, that music that's going to transport you to a different place in terms of your neurotransmitters, that breathing exercise through the nose that's going to from your cardiovascular system, tell your brain, hey, things are okay. We can still be in this state. 
you know, letting yourself cry if you need to cry, journaling in a book, stretching, whatever it is that works for you is totally valid and I encourage you to use it as often as you can every single day because the body actually requires rest every single day. That's just how it works. Now, with all of that aside, I kind of wanted to finish off. I am an author and I really kind of wanted to finish off with some writing. It's something that I mentioned mentioned to the organisers of this beautiful day of recognition of our disability that I wanted to do. And this is just, it's just a few paragraphs of my experience, my view of disability, and I hope that you'll relate to it. And, uh, you know, I will come back and say my, my goodbyes to you at the end of this broadcast as well. But before I do sign off, I really do hope that something that I've shared with you today clicks, that maybe you've seen a different side of disability that you've maybe been able to see that there is a lot that we learn as a result of disability and chronic illness that is so incredibly valuable to the whole world. If you're in a position to help be an ally and to make room for us, please do so. You could go to bed tomorrow perfectly fine and wake up the next day with a chronic illness or a disability or have an accident that changes your life fundamentally and forever. You could be one of us without any prior warning, what you would find in our community is love and empathy and compassion and so much help and support for one another. But I hope that even if you will never become one of us in that way, that you will become a great ally. And if you are already disabled and chronically ill, I hope that you feel seen, safe, valued and heard and to know that I always have your back. I am always there and you can reach out to me anytime online. Uh, I love connecting with everybody from our community. So anyway, here's a little bit of writing for you from me and I just hope it makes you feel seen. For me, disability is laid out like a dramatic narrative that has been told forever. It has been passed down to all of us generationally in the form of trauma and pain and joy and indifference in history books and campfire tales. It's not all roses and medals and trophies and parades and overcoming and being the shining beacon of ableist inspiration porn. Usually it's none of those things at all. It's a cobblestone street from the 1700s that appears too hard to traverse. An ankle roller and knee scraper are cannot get off the ground nightmare that you don't always wake from. It's bitumen tarred and black, warping in the Australian heat while your skin reddens and your eyes glaze over with light-headed vertigo worry about putting one foot in front of the other or rolling forward. It's endless corridors and beeping machines, tubes and needles and cold white thick sheets that offer the same level of comfort as a blanket made out of used tote bags roughly stitched together and laid over you haphazardly like your furniture instead of a human being needing gentle love and care and recognition of your worthy life. It's grey skies and grating noises, white noises, the hustle and bustle of the world that would have forgotten me if only it had remembered that I existed in the first place. It's the inability to fit into the world that I've outgrown, that I've outlearned and I've been outpatiented by. It's people of authority and knowledge blocking doors and refusing to take notes and leaving comments in files that make my future uncertain. 
It's information shared by self-proclaimed heroes, applauded by those without lived experience, that adds a weight to the load already carried by the misfits left over when the world decided what was normal. It's like splashing your arms as you go under in a pool surrounded by lifeguards who have decided to let you drown instead of getting in the water with you. It is me still being here, living successfully in a way that I define for me right in front of you without feeling an ounce of shame because the shame was your projection, never my own. It is the online embrace of millions somehow considered a small group when we are in fact this large group with so much life, so much experience, so much talent, so much raw, delicious divine humanity ready and able to show more compassion to others that it's actually overwhelmingly incredible. It's finding new ways year on year as my forever home, this body of skin and bone and fascia and tissue and nerve as it changes and decays and shifts, finding new ways to show it the love that the world wants to deny it and doing it with flourish and confidence. Life is a cabaret hill jump. But a life of disability and illness is more like a dark musical or a heart-wrenching opera. It is not always pleasant. It is a dichotomy that we have been taught that a life worth living is only one that is of being happy and normal and that being normal and happy is the only thing of value. But our opera, our dark grisly musical, is full of power and tenderness and joy and grief and a kind of emotion that comes from finding rest within the restlessness. That's our magic. That's our gift. That's our value. And I guess perhaps that's my little love letter to each and every one of you as you listen to this today. Being part of this community with you has been one of the greatest joys of my life. It took me a very long time to recognise and to be comfortable with my disability despite having lived with it for over 20 years and that is largely because of the knowledge the empathy the compassion the skill of rest that each and every one of you has taught me i hope that you feel loved because i certainly love you and i hope that wherever you are in whatever circumstance you find yourself in that you can find realistic energy sustaining tactics that help you to amplify, to improve or to sustain the quality of life that you so rightly deserve. Thank you for being with me today on 3CR on this International Day of People with a Disability. My name again is Flick Manning. I'll speak to you next time I'm on 3CR. Bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.